Good morning, City Light. It is good to be with you this morning. And Willie knows how to pick a song and gets a preacher fired up to preach. Before I step up here, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. Amen. Um, all right. We are in the book of Exodus. This is week six. And so if you haven't been with us the last six weeks, I'm going to take just a minute to tell you where we've been and where we are, all right? So the book of Exodus, second book in the Bible, it starts off with God's people, a nation called Israel in uh, slavery in the country of Egypt. And God raises up this guy named Moses to lead his people to freedom out of Egypt. But there's a problem. Egypt's leader, Pharaoh, hardens his heart and says, no, I won't let you go. So God sends 10 plagues on Pharaoh and his country. And after the 10th plague, Pharaoh finally breaks. He relents and he says, you can go. And so over a million people leave Egypt um, all at once. It's called the Exodus, right? And they leave, they're set free. And once they're gone, Pharaoh looks out over his land and says, I just lost a ton of slave labor. This isn't going to be good for me or my country. And so he has a change of heart and he rallies his troops and sends them to pursue Israel. And so the nation of Israel gets trapped between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. And then God performs another miracle, parts the sea. Israel walks across on dry land. The Egyptian army pursues. God throws the sea over them. Israel's enemies are drowned in the sea. And Israel stands their first steps of freedom on the other side. And that's where we pick up today. On the other side of the Red Sea, Israel has just seen over a dozen great miracles of God. They've followed him in a pillar of cloud and fire. They've heard him speak through the burning bush. You would think on the other side of the Red Sea, these first steps of the freedom march to the promised land, that these would be good days. For Israel, right? You'd think they're going to be riding that spiritual high that's going to sustain them for a while because they know God is with them. You've had those moments, right? Willie leads worship up here and the Holy Spirit shows up and you're like, man, God is here. Or uh, you open your Bible in a difficult season of life and some scripture just speaks right to your heart. And you're like, man, God gave that just for me. Or there's a conference or a sermon or a podcast, whatever, that you hear and you think, man, God had that person speaking just to me. Whatever it looks like, you know what those moments are when there's not even a shadow of a doubt that God is there with you. And we hope that those are the times that we remember when things get rough, right? We hope that we can ride those spiritual highs for a while. Um, That's what we expect to happen uh, in Exodus when they get on the other side of the Red Sea. But as we read this text, we're going to find out that's not the story we encounter. This is not a story of great faith and trust. This is a story of short-term memory loss and false accusations and what happens when people get hangry, okay? You know that feeling. You've been there. Um, 
That's where we're at. Exodus 15 through 17 is a story of grumbling. All right? And this is the pattern we're going to see. The people grumble, and then God gives. People grumble, God gives. It's going to happen three times. We're going to look at all three of them um, over these three chapters. This is what it's going to look like. Um, The people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. Chapter 15, chapter 16, chapter 17, same story, broken record, grumble, grumble, grumble. Okay? Positive, encouraging city light message for you today. Okay, lots of grumbling. This starts just three days after they cross the Red Sea. Okay, they cross the Red Sea and God starts leading them through the wilderness. And they walk, this nation, over a million people, they walk for three days in the wilderness, the desert, and all three days they find no water. Okay, On the third day, they come to a spring. It's like a pool, and there's water there, and you can imagine they're excited because they're thirsty, and the first people to drink it say, it's bitter. The water's bitter, and not only is it kind of bitter but endurable, it is so bad, it's undrinkable. And so the Israelites grumble. Um, I want to start here by telling you one of the dangers of grumbling. It makes you bitter. Okay? Um, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. I think God here is uh, asking the Israelites a question. Israel knows that God is mighty to save. He know, they know that God is a man of war, right? We read that last week. When Egypt came out to battle, God battled for his people. He protected them. But the question today is, if God is mighty to save, is he also mighty to sustain? If he hears the cries of the oppressed and he goes to battle for them, will he hear the cries of the thirsty and provide for them? Do they trust God in their thirst? This is not an academic question. Like philosophically, if you were thirsty, would you trust God, right? This is a rubber meets the road. Three days in the desert with no water. They are thirsty and the only water around is undrinkable. Will you trust God when you're thirsty? And what we see is that uh, not only do they not trust God, they grumble, right? We talked about this pattern. The people grumble. Um, Here's my question today. If you're a Christian sitting in this room, you probably believe that God saved you once to eternal life, but do you struggle to believe that he also cares about your daily life? Okay, here's my situation for me. I come home after a long day's work and I have some expectations, right? I I have this picture in my mind that I'm going to open the door and my beautiful wife is going to greet me with a hug and a welcome home, honey, right? Maybe a kiss. And my four little ones from seven to one, they're going to jog right up behind her. I'm going to get four good hugs and then I'm going to walk into the kitchen. There's going to be a hot dinner on the table 
and it's just going to be this beautiful evening after a long day's work, right? Anybody else have this kind of dream? This is who I am, and, but when I get home after my long day's work, I realize it's also been a long day at home, right? Because I open the door, and not only does my wife not come to me, my kids are bouncing off the walls, and they've made the house a disaster, right? And so they're going crazy, and the baby didn't get a good nap, and so he's screaming, and I think, well, put out the, you know, brightest fire first, and so I get string cheese, hand it to him, which he promptly throws on the ground, the dog eats, and five minutes later, throws it up on the carpet, because he can never hit the wood floor in the kitchen, right? And so the baby's screaming, the kids are everywhere, there's puke on the carpet, Sarah's stressed out, and she looks at me and says, can you make dinner while I calm the madness? And in that moment, right, I forget all of the things that I do have, and I start looking at all the things that I don't have, right? I thirst for something. I thirst for peace and a welcome home kiss and a hot dinner, and I got none of it, and so I start to grumble. You know what that looks like? I say, can I make dinner so you can calm the madness? Why didn't you start calling the madness an hour ago before I got home? Can I make dinner? Is there even a plan for dinner? Do we have, you know, the right groceries for any recipes in the house? Or I have to come up with all that on my own? Sarah, let's get takeout, send the kids outside, and give the dog away, right? This is my plan when I grumble. I am not going to do this today. Do you get there? Do you grumble. What does it look like when you're thirsty? What does it look like when your needs aren't met? Can you trust God in those moments? Well, um, the book of Exodus says that the Israelites encountered a pool of bitter water. But what we're going to see is that the water is not the only thing that was bitter. It was just a picture of the people who were getting bitter, right? Um, but God, throughout the whole book of Exodus, he's putting himself on display. He's exalting his character for the people to see. And so in, light, uh, in spite of the Israelites grumbling against him, what are we to drink? The people grumble and God provides. What's God's response to their grumbling? I'm gonna give you what you ask for, Okay. He doesn't get bitter like the people. He doesn't get bitter like the water. He provides and he gives. And so he tells Moses, Moses, there's a log or a tree. Take that log and throw it into the water and the water will become sweet. And Moses does that. God's faithful. The water becomes sweet and the people get to drink. Here's what I want you to see. When God gives, he provided for his people. And he gave them not just the water that they asked for, he gave them a promise. He said, I want you to know I'm not just powerful enough to heal bitter water, I'm powerful enough to heal bitter people. Okay? The Israelites grumble and God provides. He says, I am a healer. We're gonna keep going, all right? Um, so they, uh, they demand water, they grumble, God provides. That's not the only time they grumble. We're going to see it twice more. Um, so they drink up, they get hydrated, and they start walking again. 
And as they're walking, you remember what happened, right? In the Exodus, God told them not to make leavened bread, but unleavened because you're gonna have to leave in a hurry. And so uh, when they left, they scooped up all their bread and all the food, the supplies that they could carry in their robes and on their shoulders, and they marched out. Well, now here, a couple weeks into this journey, all that food that they could carry is starting to run out. And the people are getting hungry. You might say they're getting hangry, right? You've been there. Um, the, you skip breakfast, you have a light lunch, and dinner is late. And at this point in the evening, you might as well be Kanye watching Taylor Swift get the award instead of Beyonce, right? You are angry and hungry, and nobody better stand in your way. The people of Israel are hangry. Um, you can imagine the conversation. Hey man, don't you remember back in Egypt where we had meat pots and we sat around and ate that meat and bread until we were full? Yeah, that was so good in Egypt. Why would God have brought us out here into this wilderness where we're hungry? I bet he brought us out here just to kill us, right? You can see what grumbling does. It fuels cynicism. Here's the actual text. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Here's a second danger to, to grumbling. It fuels cynicism. Okay, cynicism, just simple definition. This is when you assume the worst. Okay, you're better at seeing what you don't have than what you do have, okay? Cynicism, you assume the worst. And this is what the people do when they're hungry, okay? Do you remember what it was like for these people back in Egypt? They were slaves forced into hard labor under taskmasters and a tyrant. And they were forced to throw their baby boys into the Nile River so that they would drown. This was not a good life for them, but here on the other side of the Red Sea, when they're hungry, they remember Egypt like it was a five-star, all-inclusive resort. You remember those meat pots? We just sat around and ate to the full, right? They assume the worst about God now, and they assume the best about Egypt in the past. Rose-colored glasses. And so then they start accusing God. That same God that heard their cries when they were under oppression, that freed them from that slavery and that death, that same God who freed them into life, now they look back and they say, I bet he brought us out here to kill us. The ultimate cynicism. They're turning the character of God on his head, saying the one who wants us to live and give us life wants us to die and take our lives. They grumbled. Um, I think here we see the same thing that we saw in the first story. The people of Israel grumble, and yet God provides. In spite of these false accusations, in spite of this short-term memory loss, in spite of these demands, uh, God still provides. Um, this is, he says, you want meat and bread? You want the things that you had in Egypt? I can provide that for you. I can do that. He literally says, I'm going to make bread rain down from heaven on you. 
I can do that. I can feed you. I can sustain you. And this time his giving is a little different, right? The first time when they demand water, God has them throw a log into one spring, and he turns that bitter water sweet. But when they move on, that water stays behind them. This time God says, I'm going to provide for you in a different kind of way. He establishes a rhythm of daily provision. God says, in the morning, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven. And in the evening, I'm going to provide meat. You will get to eat every morning and every night. And when he says that, he says, I want everybody to go out and gather enough bread for their household for the day. Get enough for the day. If you get too little, you'll still be hungry. If you get too much, it's going to stink and rot and get worms in it. It will not keep. So get enough for the day and trust that I will provide for you tomorrow. It's a rhythm of daily provision. Now, there are echoes of this pattern in the Lord's Prayer, right? The prayer that Jesus used to teach his disciples how to pray. You know the line? Give us this day our daily bread. Do you believe that the same God that provided daily for the Israelites is ready to provide daily for you? Here's my story. Last week, Doug shared about the church kids' drug, pornography, right? My story is the same. Mine started in college, and I was exposed, I looked, and I got hooked, right? And I was ashamed of it. And I tried to quit, but I found out pretty quickly that I couldn't. I'd go maybe a couple days or a week, um, but I'd fall right back into this pattern. And I knew it was unhealthy. It wasn't good for my soul, but my shame kept me from talking to anybody about it. And so unlike Doug, who's a better godly man, um, he went and sought out his friends. By God's grace, one of my friends came to me and said, Hey, Eric, I got this problem, and I can't stop and I need some help. And I said, me too. Me too. I can't quit. I don't, not only can I not quit, I feel like any success is met with an even harder fall. I make it a couple days, and I go back, and I feel even more guilty than I did before I made those couple days, because I just go right back to it, like a dog to its vomit, right? A week seemed impossible. A year seemed like an eternity. And so we shared each other's struggles in this, and we got a couple more guys together, and we decided we're going to start meeting together, and we're just going to pray for each other and encourage each other as we fight this battle together. And early on, those other three guys and I, we reflected on the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And we decided, you know what? That's going to be our prayer. God, I don't know I'm, I'm so defeated when I think about a week or a month or a year. It seems like a mountain with cliffs that I don't think I could ever scale. I don't know how to start that. And so I'm just gonna pray this day I need my daily bread. I remember praying things like, God, would you, would you give me satisfaction in you today? Would you just change my heart today? Would I desire you more than this today? Tomorrow, next month, next year, that's all in God's hands. I can't worry about that. I'm concerned with today. God, would you provide? Give me my daily bread today. 
And so my buddies and I started praying that. And you know what happened? It wasn't a, like a temptation was overcome in a day, but I got through the first day. And that day, one day, became two. And soon enough, a week became a month. And all of a sudden, even the temptation faded. I want to tell you, God's daily provision is better than any plan you can make. He is faithful. And he established a pattern of daily provision for the Israelites that daily bread that Jesus continued for his people and God is continuing for his people today. City Light, what are you thirsting for? Is it a hot meal at night and a welcome home? Is it images on a computer? Is it success in your career? What are you thirsting for? I, I want to I say something here. I want to be clear. It is wise to plan ahead. The book of Proverbs says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Diligently planning leads to abundance, but here's what I want to say. We should plan ahead, we should be wise, but we should trust in the Lord more than we trust in our own plans. Okay, here's how uh, Pastor Tim Chester says it. Look not to your version of the jar of manna when you go to bed each night and tell yourself that you have gained what you need. Don't look to your bank account. Don't look to the plans that you've made. Don't look to whatever it is that you put your hope in now outside of Jesus. Don't look to that when you go to bed and say, I'm gonna be fed tomorrow. Look instead to the providing God and tell him that you trust him to give you what you need. Our God is a provider. Our God is a giver, and he wants us to trust that because he provided today and he provided yesterday, he's going to provide tomorrow. Would we be a people that goes back to him every day and finds that he is still the provider he's always been? Okay? So first, Israel goes, they demand water, and God provides. Second, they go and get hungry, they demand food, they grumble, and God provides. A third time, they pick up, they start walking, and they come to another place where there's no water. And you think, where are they going? They keep running out of water. Um, They're in the arid North African desert, right? Egypt is in the northeast corner of Africa. There's this little peninsula that connects Africa to Arabia, that Arabian peninsula. It's, It's a desert, and God's leading them through it, and they come to another place where there's no water. And they again grumble. This is what they say. But the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? What started as bitterness grew into cynicism And now it has blossomed into outright defiance. They actually ask the question, is the Lord among us or not? Can you believe that? 
God had already provided water. He'd already provided food. The very day that they asked, is the Lord even among us or not? That very day in the morning, God gave them bread. The night before that, he led them with a pillar of fire and gave them meat. And the day before that, he led them with a pillar of cloud. This is daily, God is moving amongst them. And then they asked the question, why did you bring us out here to kill us? Are you even among us? or not. That is defiance. That is testing God. That is telling God, though you've done that, we're still thirsty. Are you even among us if, we ha- if we're a thirsty people? And one more time, in light of all their grumbling, God provides. And this time, it's a little different. He says, Moses, I want you to take the people of Israel, the leaders of Israel, and stand them next to the rock at Horeb, okay? Get the leaders of Israel together in one place and stand them next to this rock. And those leaders are gonna just be representatives of the whole nation of Israel that has rallied against me. And they're gonna stand here. And then Moses, I am gonna stand myself. God himself is gonna stand on that rock rock. And he sets up almost a courtroom style scene. The Israelites are the plaintiffs and they're launching accusations against God. Did you bring us out here to kill us? Are you with us or not? And God stands on the rock, one accused. The giver is now condemned by the ones he gave And he stands on the rock and Moses stands between them. And God says, pick up the staff that you use to strike the Nile. Remember when he did that? It was a staff of judgment. And when he struck the Nile, it turned to blood and the Egyptians were thirsty. That same staff was the one that Moses used to start all of the plagues on Egypt. It was the one that he held up so that God would part the Red Sea. And when he brought it down, the seas crashed on the people. This is a staff of judgment. And in this case, it's going to strike judgment too. It's the gavel that will fall. This trial is bigger than the OJ trial. Okay, it's bigger than the Michael Jackson trial. This is one for the ages. And the moment is filled with wonder and tension. What will God do to this people? This faithless, defiant, bitter people. How are they gonna get out of this? And so Moses takes the staff. God stands on the rock. The people stand on the other side. And God speaks his verdict to Moses. Moses, strike the rock. Moses, strike the rock. The innocent one is condemned as guilty. He takes the guilt for the guilty people. He says, I stand condemned though I've only been faithful. The faithless ones are declared innocent though they're the ones that grumble nonsense. Stop. And not only does God take the strike of judgment, as soon as that staff hits the rock, he provides what the people have asked for. Water flows from a dry rock toward the people who have demanded it from their God. 
God provides not only what they ask for, he provides a substitute who took the punishment and their guilt. I gotta tell you, writing this sermon was difficult for me this week because I kept relating to the people of Israel. I am such a grumbler. And what I wanted to do was say, God, how do I stop? How do I stop grumbling? I hate the idea that it's my grumbling that led to you getting struck. I can't stand the idea that it's my grumbling that made you say, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven and provide for you, and I'm just going to grumble again. Why am I like that, God? How do I stop? Would you just tell me that's what I want to do? And I look inward to myself for an answer. When you grumble, where do you turn? Who do you trust? Do you just want to get out of it? Do you just want to find something that's going to stop you from it? Here's what I do. I thirst for things. One time I thought, you know what? My life would be better. I would be a happier, more joyful man. My grumbling would stop if I could just get a little wireless Bluetooth speaker. It's technology. I'm a gadgety guy. My life's going to be better. Do you get weird things that you just long for in your heart? This is me. If I could just get that little speaker, then my life would be better. You know what happened? I bought that speaker and I never use it. It sits on my shelf, unused, never powered on, and I just thirst for something else. My heart is a never-ending stream of bitterness, of grumbling, of need that cannot be satisfied by myself. It cannot be satisfied by the world. And so when I look at this text and I relate to those Israelites, what I want to preach is, here are three dangers of grumbling and how to stop. And I can't go there because scripture says, despite God walking with the Israelites hand in hand, doing miracle after miracle, they couldn't stop. Despite my best efforts, I can't stop. Grumbling is dangerous. And if we're honest, we can't stop. We can't go within. If we're honest, we need a provider from without who will enter in and stop for us. Every one of these stories pointed Israel to the one who could provide. They point us to Jesus. Jesus is the tree. He hung on a tree and gave his life for ours so that we can live without bitterness. God said, I can heal more than bitter water. I can heal bitter people. And he accomplished that when Jesus hung on the tree. Jesus is better than the tree that Moses threw in the pond. He is a better tree. And not only is he a better tree, he's better bread. This is what he himself said in the book of John. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. When Jesus died on the cross, he gave his body for us. And whoever eats that bread lives forever. It's better than the manna because the manna stopped their physical hunger. 
Jesus is better because he stops all of our hunger. He satisfies all of our desires in a way that nothing else can. He is the tree, he is the bread, and he is the rock. This is what Paul said to the church. This is long track with me. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, the pillar of cloud that led Israel. And all passed through the sea, the Red Sea that was parted for them. And all were baptized into Moses. That just meant they followed him, right? In the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, the manna. And all drank the same spiritual drink, the bitter water made sweet. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Jesus was the rock that was struck for us. From him flows living water to an undeserved and defiant people. We need a better rock than what we are ourselves. We cannot stop grumbling. And here's what I want you to know. When you read a text like this, if you're anything like me, you just want Three reasons it's dangerous and how to stop. We don't need to try harder to stop grumbling. We need to look to the only one who can heal that inside us. We need to look to the only one that can satisfy our souls the way that they were meant to be satisfied. We need living bread and living water and we need the one who was struck so that we don't have to be struck. Amen? I want to end with this. I didn't want to walk away from a a text like this and say, hey, City Light, you're just a bunch of grumblers. Because you know what? To be honest, though, I think we all have a tendency to grumble. I think God has been good to our church. I don't hear a lot of grumbling among us. In fact, when I listen to people speak to each other, most often you're encouraging one another. I hear people praying for each other. I hear people pursuing each other in love, even when they're not on the same page. I hear people telling stories of what God has done so we remember how good he is. And so what do we walk away from in a text like this, in a church like this? I think this text is a warning. I think it's a warning that a good God can do amazing things and his people can see it and rejoice. But folks, it was three days after they walked across the Red Sea that they started grumbling. Three short days of thirst began a divide between the people of Israel and their God where eventually... They went from singing, he is my strength and my song and has become my salvation, to you let us out here to kill us. Are you even among us? See, like we are not immune. Three days away from Jesus and we'll be grumblers, right? We need to depend on him daily for his provision, for his goodness, for his love. We need to look to him daily as the better tree and the better bread and the better rock. Would you pray with me? We're encouraged that he is that kind of God and we're warned from being 
the people like Israel.